I'm Agent Bender. You don't know me, but I know you. I work for the largest organization in the world. You've never seen us, or probably ever heard of us. But we have a presence in every household, including yours. Don't believe me? Then we're doing our job. Most of our operations are proceeding this plan. Oh, that's good. So, everything's fine. Can I help you with something, Bender? <laughs> Me? Uh, no. That is um, not exactly. Do you practice being annoying, or is it just a gift? What is it, Bender? Well, I've been here a few weeks now, and normally about this time I'm... Uh... Asked to leave? No. Well, yeah, sort of. By now, I've usually made some mistakes that cost me my job. It's just that <clears throat> around here, you guys twist things around so much, it's hard to tell if I'm screwing up or not. I think things are going okay with your training. Uh, in fact, you bring up one of the most powerful twists that we have going. I do? Mistakes. Those intentional accidents that people seem to have when they do something that helps them but hurts someone else. You know, like... Honey, I had an affair with my secretary, and it was a huge mistake. As if he was going to get her coffee in. Whoops! <laughs> Generally, people know when they're doing wrong. The competition calls it... What is that word again? Sin. Sin. Right. For such a small word, I have the hardest time remembering it. Maybe it's just too big for your brain. And maybe my foot's just too big for your... Snow, you were saying... Generally, people know when they're committing a sin, they just don't like the guilt. The guilt keeps people from sinning, so we needed to remove the guilt. So you twisted sins into mistakes. Right. Call up case 1785, Dodge. You gonna come watch Snow Cone? No, thanks. I know what I'm doing. Hi, honey. Hey, hi. Where have you been? Oh, you know, just nowhere in particular. Really? Yeah. Looks like you've been to Godiva and The Gap. And Taylor, Macy's. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> wow, I had such a busy day, I forgot. <laughs> Sweetheart, do you remember the conversation we had the other night about how money's really tight right now and how we can't spend anymore because you had to have a new bedroom suit? Yes. As a matter of fact, I do remember that conversation. And, well, come on. I mean, do you think I would do anything on purpose to jeopardize our financial So this situation? wasn't on purpose? No, I, I had... Well... Okay, so maybe I shouldn't have gone to the mall. I'm sorry. I just, you know, my mistake. You know, they, they practically forced that stuff on me. I mean, I mean, they gave me 10% off when I opened the credit card. You and charged it? I did. Honey, we can't afford it. If you keep spending money that we don't have, I'm going to jail. Well, at least I look cute when I visit you. <laughs> so you see, when someone does something they know is wrong, they just call it a mistake. Oh, around here, we just call it a bender. And since it was just a mistake, it would be wrong of you to hold it against them. So they just try to make light of it, laugh it off, and move on. Yeah, but it seems that's better than admitting they did something wrong. I thought twists were supposed to make things worse. That's the point. It always gets worse. When? When someone does it to you. Look at the rest of case number 1785. Hi. Hi. How is your day? 
That was great. Thanks for asking. So, um, you're... You're not still mad at me? Are you kidding? Of course not. You're the best husband ever. Honey? Yeah? I forgot to tell you. I accidentally returned the bedroom furniture. So you see, it's all fun and games until someone sticks it to you. And if we can just keep them all sticking it to each other enough that they never forgive one another, then we win. Because they lose. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Future's looking brighter. Come here. How you like me now, Snowcomb? So today we are finishing our series called Twisting the Truth, and, and I just had this conversation with some people at a party last night. Those were demons. If this is your first time here, those were demons, not not good people. Those were the bad guys. So they're trying to mess us up. And we said a long time ago at the beginning of this series that Jesus believed in demons. And so if he believes in demons, they're out there. They're trying to mess us up. Now, today I want to show you a poll that was taken about eight years ago, and I kind of wish they would do this poll every 10 years like they do with a census, because I think we would see this incredible pattern of people believing certain things are sin would would change over the next 10 years. But anyway, eight years ago, here's what Americans thought sin were. These are just a few of them. We're just going to put them up on there, run through them real quick. Eight years ago, 2008, people uh, in America, 81% believed that adultery was wrong. 74% racism is wrong. Um, Excuse me, using hard drugs like cocaine, LSD, 65%, having an abortion, 56%, homosexual activity or sex, 52%, reading or watching pornography, 50%, Gossip, 47%. Swearing, 46%. Sex before marriage, 45%. Gambling, 30%. Not attending church or regular uh, religious services regularly, 18%. Now, here's the problem with this poll, is if you just go out and ask random people, we could do this the 4th of July. In fact, we did this several years ago. We went around and asked people things um, at the 4th of July fireworks display, and it was interesting what we got. When you ask somebody what is sin, the, the real question is, where is your standard? What Where do you get your ideas of what is sin and what's not because no offense. And actually, if you're offended, I don't care. Your experiences do not make a standard. Your grandma's theories on life do not make a standard. I want something that doesn't change. The Bible does not change. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about the standard in the original translations of the scripture. Sin means to miss the mark. All right, so I have my uh, my little target here, and, and I shot this from about 20 yards away. And, and if the bullseye is the mark, did I miss the mark? By the definition, yes. By the def- I hit the, the block, but I didn't hit the bullseye. So by the definition of sin in the Bible, this, this would be sin. I missed the mark. Now, there is a standard, whether you want to admit it or not. The standard is given to us in the Bible. God's standard is perfection. God's standard is you need to hit the bullseye. Every time you can't miss a single time. And then he showed us what perfection was like whenever Jesus Christ walked on the earth. Now, here's the deal. Americans, though, tend to say, well, um, I, I don't know about this standard thing. I, I think sin is anything that I don't do 
or I don't struggle with or that you do that might hurt me, that's sin. I'll call that sin. But whatever I do or, or whatever I struggle with, that's not sin. That's just a mistake. And this is how the twist goes. And so our people believe this and, and we want to choose to live any way we want to. And we kind of hope that God is like this big old grandfather in the sky that we're shooting over here. We're shooting over here. We're shooting wherever it hits that our grandfather in the sky will just go. That's okay. Come on in because my standard doesn't matter. That's what we're hoping. But there is a standard. And if we, if we didn't have the Bible, we could do this. We could live any way we wanted to and nobody could hold us accountable. We did, they just couldn't do that. But we have the Bible. And if you ignore the standard, God's standard as shown to us by Jesus Christ, it raises serious red flags about whether you're even in the kingdom of God or not. You can't be under God's authority and not be under the Bible's authority. That doesn't work. Either he's king and Lord or he's not. Either his standard is real or it's not. So here's what the Bible, the pesky little Bible, here's what it says about sin in Romans 3.23. All have done what? All. Does that mean you? Does that mean me? Yes. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. That nasty little word, sin. Sin means... I knew there was a target and I intentionally chose not to shoot at the target. Sin means I knew that, that what I was going to do would hurt you, but I care so much more about me than you that I chose to do it anyway. And then I'll just pass it off as it's a mistake. And see, if, if, if I call it sin, that means I'm a sinner. And, and I don't, I don't like being a sinner, so I don't use that word. Here's what we use. We use the word mistake. I I just made a mistake. Here's the definition of mistake on the screen. An error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. Poor reasoning. I missed the mark because I just wasn't thinking straight. Or, or carelessness. I, I missed the mark. I missed the bullseye because I, I just didn't see it. Or, or lack of knowledge. I didn't know. I didn't know my harsh words would hurt your feelings. I didn't know committing adultery would hurt your, I didn't know. You can't blame me. It was just a mistake. I didn't know. And so when people catch you, oh, my bad, my bad, mistake. Or nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. It was just a mistake. And the assumption is, if I'm making mistakes, you can't be too mad at me because I didn't know better. You can't be that mad. Now, there's a big difference in a sin and a mistake. A mistake, I don't really have to ask you for forgiveness because it was a mistake. A sin, I deliberately chose to do something because I care more about myself than I care about you. I hurt you because I'm all about me and not about you. That's a sin. I chose a different path over God's, God's standard. Now, here's the biggest difference. If, if everything I do can be dumbed down to a mistake, that makes me a mistaker, which means I don't have sin, which means I'm not a sinner, which means I don't need a savior. If you're a mistaker, then all you have to do is try harder next time. Do a little better. Break this little habit. Whatever it is, just come on, just try better. But if I'm a sinner, if I'm a sinner and I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm not good enough to make up for what I did to you. 
I know that I need a savior. Now, you may be able to convince me that you made a mistake. I didn't know. Sorry, Doug. I'm sorry. Let's just get over it. Let's just move on. You may be able to convince me that. You may even be able to convince me that you're a chronic mistaker. I just didn't know. I keep messing up because I didn't know or I didn't see it or I didn't. But but when when you turn the TV off and when you get off of social media and when you're laying there at night and you're doing some deep soul introspection or maybe you're just looking in the mirror, you know better. You know you did it on purpose. Not only did you do it on purpose, you're hoping to do it again. When you get caught, you just pass it off. Just my bad, my mistake, no big deal. But you know, you know it was not unintentional. You did it on purpose. It was not poor reasoning. It was not carelessness. It was not insufficient knowledge. You did it on purpose. You knew what you were doing. It was not a mistake. Now, it was into a world of mistakers that Jesus came and he began to teach. And in his ministry, he taught these two opposing ideas that really didn't seem like they should come out of the same mouth. All right, you ready for this? Here's the first idea he taught. Idea number one, you're terrible. I'm terrible. Whatever you need to say. Doug's terrible. You put your name there. Aaron's terrible. Uh, Jared's terrible. You put, Jesus came and said, no, no, you thought, you thought you were okay. You're not okay. He came to a bunch of religious people who dumbed down righteousness and said, if you just do these few rules over here, anybody can be righteous. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. You thought you were kind of bad. You're terrible. You thought that you were good. You're not good. You're terrible. You thought you were righteous. You are not righteous. You're terrible. Nobody's good enough. Everybody's terrible in God's eyes. And then right after that, Jesus comes along and he says, idea number two, God loves you. God loves you just like you are. God loves you. And the people were confused and they said, either, either I'm terrible or God loves me. And Jesus goes, no, it's both. You're worse than you thought. And God loves you more than you thought possible. This was so strange to people because the religious people, they wanted to be mistakers and mistakers hated Jesus because he made them feel so bad about themselves. It's like when, when light comes on, Jesus was absolute light. There is no darkness in him. When he showed up, he revealed all of the sin. You couldn't call it a mistake. You knew you were not righteous. You knew you deserved to die when you're in the presence of Jesus. When we stand before him, the Bible says all will stand before him one day. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You're either going to bow in this life or you're going to bow in the next life. You know, I'm going to bow in both. But you will bow and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when you see him, you'll go, oh, no, I'm a sinner. See, if you if you know you're a sinner, you're not going to do better. You're not going to promise more. You're not going to commit more. You're not going to discipline yourself. You know that if you're a sinner, if there's any hope for me, I need a savior. So listen to what Jesus has to say. In Matthew chapter five, verse 17, this is from the sermon on the Mount. And, and I just, I can't even read the sermon on the Mount anymore without picturing being there. Janie and I went back in March to, to Israel and we were, we stayed in Tiberias, which is on the edge of the sea of Galilee. And we went up to Capernaum, which was kind of his adopted hometown. The place where they think was the sermon on the Mount was just like two, three, five minutes walk from Capernaum where, where Peter lived, where his mom, where Jesus healed his mom. The, the one time there's this, there's this incredible natural amphitheater up on the hill. And so we go up there, we get out of our van and we walk down and my brother went down to where Jesus would have been. If this actually is the location, we don't know for sure, but we think it is. And he read some scripture and it was so easy to hear. And it was so easy to visualize 
thousands of people following Jesus, hearing Jesus on this mountainside, and he comes up and he starts preaching to them. And we just sat there in awe thinking about Jesus taught right here. Here's what he said. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. In other words, he said, I'm not coming to get rid of all that strict stuff in the Old Testament. In fact, I'm coming to to make sure everything has been obeyed. I'm coming to fulfill that stuff. I'm not going to dumb it down. I'm here to do everything that was taught in the Old Testament. Look what he says in verse 19. If you break the smallest commandment, He's talking about the Old Testament. If you break the smallest commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. He's preparing them for what he's about to say next. He's telling them, what I'm, what I'm going to say in no way changes the Old Testament. It doesn't lower the standard. In fact, he says, I'm about to raise the standard. And you need to understand, anytime Jesus did teaching, if he did it on marriage, if he did it on giving, if he did it on sexuality, whatever it is, if he takes an Old Testament teaching, Jesus doesn't, doesn't dumb it down. He raises the standard higher. Look what he says, verse 20. But I warn you, unless you obey God better than the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees do, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven at all. And they're going, holy cow, the, the, the religious teachers, the Pharisees, they're the holiest people we've ever seen before. And you're saying they're not good enough. And by the way, a lot of people will say, well, I'm a new covenant Christian. And, and that's great because we have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We're new creatures. There is a new covenant. Jesus came to, to, to make a new covenant. But let me tell you something. It is actually more difficult to live out the Sermon on the Mount than it is the Ten Commandments. And by the way, did you know that nine of the Ten Commandments are listed in the New Testament? The only one that's not is you should observe the Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday morning. And so we started worshiping on the first day of the week the fact that our God is not dead. He's alive. Right? So he says, unless you're better than those people in the Old Testament, unless you're better than the religious leaders, you're not going to go into heaven. And so when that settles over him, he goes on and gives some specific examples. Look at verse 21. You've heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. And everyone there knew the Old Testament. They could probably, they probably had most of it memorized. They studied it all the time. They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew that you shall not murder is number six. And they're going, I've not killed anyone. I'm good. Look what Jesus says. But I say to you, if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now, depending on your translation, um, the New American Standard says you are guilty before the court if you're angry. And they're going, hold on. You're saying that you're equating being angry with somebody with murder. You're saying I don't even have to do it. I can be mad enough. And the only reason I don't do it is because I'm going to get caught. And I don't want to go to jail. Or I don't want to get killed myself. I don't want to go to the death penalty. And you're saying that if I even think it, I'm guilty. And Jesus goes, yes. You're guilty. Because it starts with a thought. Your actions follow your thoughts. And he says, there's a righteous anger. But, but most of us don't use that. Don't even know what righteous anger is. He says, you're guilty if you even do anything. Jesus says the buyer, the, the, the bar is higher than you thought. While they're thinking about that, he jacks up every man who's ever lived in verse 27. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. And they're going back to the 10 commandments. This is number seven. Adultery's bad. I've never committed adultery. I'm good. And look what Jesus says. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his eye has already committed adultery with her in his heart. All right, that's it. That, that Jesus, you've just called us all, well, not me. You've called all my friends adulterers. If that's the standard, 
Who's going to be in the kingdom? You've just, I get the idea that you don't commit adultery. That's a do thing. But you're saying, think it? Who can be in heaven? Who can be that good? Who can be that righteous? Who can live their whole life as a man and never look lustfully at a woman? If that's the standard, none of us are going to be there. God's going to be alone in heaven because nobody is that good. Jesus says, I'm not done. Keep your pens out. Verse 43, you've heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, I don't even pray for people I like. And you're telling me I need to pray for my enemies and I need to pray for people who openly persecute me? That's righteousness? Okay, I'm a murderer because I get angry. I'm, I'm an adulterer because I have lustful thoughts. And now you're saying basically I'll never please you because I don't pray for my enemies? OMG, only G is that good. And Jesus says, now you're getting it. That's the point. Idea number three is only God is righteous. Jesus is talking to this thousands of people gathered on this mountain. And his point is, you thought you were coming to this, this sermon and you were a bunch of mistakers. <laughs> I'm here to convince you you're a sinner. And if you're, if you're trusting in yourself, there is no hope for you. You need a savior. Which brings me to idea number four. Mistakers trust themselves to be better, to get better, to do better next time. To be a better person, sinners trust Jesus. Here's the amazing thing. Throughout the Gospels, that's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the people who were most convinced they were sinners loved Jesus. They were nothing like him, and they liked him. The tax gatherers, prostitutes, men and women who were condemned by society. Everybody else says, sinner, sinner, sinner. There goes a sinner. There goes a sinner. Those people loved Jesus because he had these two messages. Message number one, you're terrible. You're a sinner. Message number two, God loves sinners, sent a savior on their behalf. Message number one, you're hopelessly lost. Message number two, God sent me to find you. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And lost people loved him. Until you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, you're not open to embracing that you need a savior. As long as you're a mistaker, you're going to try harder. But you have to finally come to grips with the fact that, no, you didn't accidentally do that. There's something fundamentally wrong with you and fundamentally wrong with me that caused us to ignore the standard and choose to do something because we are selfish, sinful human beings. Several years later, Paul said this. We're going back to Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short. Every one of us falls short. And you would expect the next thing to say, and God is mad and he's coming to get you. There are lightning bolts in your future. But that's not what he says in verse 24. All need to be made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift. They need no, they need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. So, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and the savior offers me a free gift. He knows I'm in bondage to sin. He knows I cannot get out of sin by myself. He knows I am bound for hell if I trust in myself, and he offers me the gift of salvation. That's just crazy. And see, even if 
I decided to be good. I'm almost 52. Even if I was, it decided to be good from now on, there's no way I can go back and make up for all the sin I've done for 51 and, and three quarters years. Can't do it. Can't be good enough. So the sinner says to God, you know, I don't, I don't deserve your love. It's kind of like the thief on the cross. You know, there were two thieves. Jesus was in the middle. The one, I believe he busted open hell. The other said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus gives grace to humble people who admit they're sinners. And, and a, a humble person says, God, I, I, I can't pay you. And Jesus, God says, yeah, you're not even good enough. You don't have enough goodness in you to make one payment to get you into heaven. So what happens? Well, verse 25. God gave him, Jesus, as a way to forgive sin through faith in the blood of Jesus' death. This showed that God always does what is right and fair, as in the past when he was patient and did not punish people for their sins. See, mistakers are all about themselves. I'm going to do what I can to be right with God. Sinners realize I can't do it. I don't need a cheerleader. I don't need a motivational speaker. I need a savior. And you become a Christian the moment you realize that you're a sinner. You say, I sin, I'm a savior. Jesus came to be my savior. You transfer your confidence from yourself to do better to Jesus Christ. You say, I can't do it. He's the only one that can. I'm placing all my weight, all my trust in what you did on my behalf. As a sinner, I realize there's nothing I can do to pay for my sins. Even if I got it right from this point forward, it wouldn't be enough. See, I'm, I placed all my faith in Christ. Because I, I believe he didn't die on the cross to pay for my mistakes. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. That's why the sooner you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, the sooner you can accept this free gift of grace. The sooner you can accept his forgiveness, the sooner you can start living in his power. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Some of you came in here and you're burdened down because you, you cannot, you've been trying by willpower to overcome whatever sin and, and willpower is not what you need. You need supernatural power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Bible says that that power, that resurrection power is available to those who follow Jesus Christ. So you need to call out to him. So I just want to give you a second and ask you to, to, to confess whatever your, your sin is that you come back to over and over. Confess that to God. Ask him for his power to overcome that sin. Now look up here for just a second. <clears throat> Today, we're not going to make the, you know, we do the sound for the baskets. We're not going to do that today. I want you to take out your registration cards, fill it out on the back. I always ask you to write something. So you're going to write one of two things. You're either going to write, Jesus saved me. Or if you're not there yet and you still have questions, you're going to say, I need a Savior or I need to know more about the Savior. Something like that. Because we want you to come to a point where you recognize whether you're in the kingdom of God or not. The Bible says, he who uh, has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And then John, the guy who was on the island of Patmos, the guy who wrote the book of Revelation, he says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you don't know, then you're not trusting scripture. You're trusting something else. 
I'm going to play for you a video. Um, love this song, and, and I don't even know why our band hasn't done it yet. It's uh, Jesus Paid It All, and it goes into, Oh, Praise the One Who Paid My Debt. And uh, I just was listening to it the other day, and I thought, I, I need to end this sermon with this. And and I want you just to, if you need to come up here and pray, if you want to stand and say, whatever, it's it, it's going to be the old hymn, but then it goes into the new thing, Oh, Praise the One Who Paid My Debt. And I want you to think about, if Jesus paid it all, what does that require of you? It's real easy to sing words. It's real easy not to mean them. If Jesus paid it all, what does that require of you? Watch this, and then we'll wrap this up. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it
If he paid your debt, what does that require of you? I don't want to be in a church where people sit on their butts in the, in the seats and they never do anything. They never grow in their relationship with Christ. The reason I serve this church, I love you. I love people. I love you. But I don't serve in this church because of you. I serve because he paid it all. I give 10% of my income, not because I love you. I love you. I give 10% of my income because it all belongs to him anyway. And he paid it all. When I serve, I had to, had to run some wires yesterday. I almost got stuck under the, the soundboard yesterday. And I was thinking, dude, I don't have my phone. And oh, dear God, get me out of here. Because who knows how long I would have laid there. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm playing music yesterday. And as I'm crawling around running some cables, because we had some cables break for the TVs and different stuff. As I'm running around doing the cables, the music is going and I'm praising God. And I'm crawling underneath that soundboard. And I said, this is for you, God. I want the, I want the TVs working so that if somebody is out there, they have a child, they need to go out there. God, I want, this is for you. It's not for the, the kingdom. So my question to you is, what are you going to do with it? Cause God didn't bring you here today just to go, Oh yeah, whoo, salute the flag. Let's sing the Star Spangled Banner. I love our country, but our country is not going to last forever. There's a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth. That lasts forever. I love my wife. But when I'm in heaven, I'm not married to Janie. I don't even fully understand that. But I know the spiritual family outlasts the physical family. If you're not going to do something, stop singing in worship. Because you're lying. Does that make sense to anybody? Quit playing games. And I'll see three of you next week for worship. Right? I serve because he paid it all. I give because he paid it all. My talents are not my talents. My treasures are not my treasures. My time is not my time. If you think it is, you start reading the scripture. And you see the guy who was going to tear down barns and build bigger barns because he had so much. The Bible says, you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. Don't you think for a second it's about you. That's a twist that the enemy wants you to believe. I want you to go tomorrow. I want you to have a blast celebrating the freedom of our country. But don't you forget, freedom of sins is more costly and lasts longer. We have three, don't, don't do the things. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not in the mood. If you want to give, you give back there. And you give because God says to give, not because the preacher said to give. There's a basket back there. There's a basket for your, for your card. There's a basket for, for our, our parking lot. And, and I just, I believe that, I don't know if y'all watch the Spartan. We've been watching those Spartan races, the Spartan challenge. 
There's a deal where you, you have a 130 pound shield and it's about five feet across and there's five people on the team. And, and if anybody's not holding on to that shield, it really slows them down as they're running. When we're not moving forward as a church, it's because somebody's not holding the shield. Somebody's not doing their part. And it's time you did. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. And I thank you that, that someone like me can have a purpose in life. But it's not just me. You want everybody that you created. Every creation of God, you want to become a child of God and you want to be used in the kingdom of God. Show us what we're supposed to do with this precious gift. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hug five people. Tell them you love them. You're dismissed.